0: Although I've seen some scripts, I know words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important.
1: Hey, you want to get on the train here or do you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too to Read, Will. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film.
2: Man, I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my
0: guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork. And as always, I am super excited to bring you another really rad conversation this week. Happy Thanksgiving, dorks. One of my favorite times of the year. Not only do I get to stuff my face with sweet potato pie at my mom's house in the morning, but I get to do it all over again at my mother-in-law's house in the afternoon. Whatever I have to do for more sweet potato pie, I will do it. On top of that, this weekend is always a tremendously exciting one at the movie theaters. This week, we're getting Ryan Johnson's spin on the Agatha Christie large cast of oddball characters movie Knives Out. Lisa caught this flick at Fantastic Fest early this year, and I had a few brief moments to chat with Ryan Johnson and Noah Segan on that stressful red carpet. And all I'll say at the moment is that the film had a tremendous impact on both Lisa and myself, One of the reasons the movie works so well is the score. And this week on the show, I had the chance to chat with composer Nathan Johnson about the big orchestral sound that he brings to the film. Nathan is the cousin of Ryan and he's worked on every one of his movies with the exception of Star Wars. John Williams practically has a monopoly on that gig for the moment. On top of those films, Nathan has scored Don John, Kill the Messenger, and a few others. He's known for being a bit of an experimental guy but as you'll hear in our conversation, he went pretty traditional, or at least golden age Hollywood with this one. I don't want to take too much of your time, so let's get into the chat. But you should know also that as a special added bonus to this episode, I'm going to include the audio from those red carpet chats with Ryan Johnson and Noah Segan at the very end of the show. But be warned, I was nervous as hell during those and a touch fanish. Uh, what can I do? But hey, do you know where I was totally cool? With my fellow Washington, D.C. native, Nathan Johnson, let's get into it and hear about all the brilliant influences that went into the Knives Out film score and how failing those influences
2: is a success unto itself.
0: Hi, Nathan. Thanks again uh, for joining us. I really appreciate the the time to chat.
2: Oh, of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking.
0: Absolutely. So um, I guess where I wanted to start was, you know, in your collaborations with Ryan, w- do they... Do they start the same with every project or, or do they slightly vary depending on what the project is?
2: I mean, we always start talking about it really early, you know, and I I um, I read the scripts early on in the process. So, so that feels the same, but every project is very, very different. Um, and, you know, Ryan's kind of a master of dipping into different genres and kind of turning them inside out and part of that has to do with you know what are we going to do with the music and how how you know how will we maybe nod to the the history that we're in the wake of but also maybe turn turn that on its head a little bit
0: uh, when I spoke to Ryan at Fantastic Fest, uh, earlier this year.
2: Oh, you were there. That's oh, awesome. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I can't miss Fantastic Fest. Once I went to Fantastic Fest, I, I made it a life goal to go, go there every year.
2: Yeah. It's so good. I remember seeing Holy Motors at Fantastic Fest a while ago and it was, yeah, it was an apex moment.
0: Uh, I was not there at that screening, but I would have killed to have been there. Um, it's a much different experience yeah. watching it with a crowd than, Uh, watching it at home is how I experienced Holy Motors, but a great movie.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: But like, so when I was talking to Ryan, um, there, you know, clearly he was inspired by Agatha Christie and you know, those kinds of mysteries. Uh, and I'm sure that's where your conversations began with Knives Out. Um, were you looking to subvert that idea? I mean, or 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 lean in with your score for Knives Out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly I don't know that I was thinking, you know, so much about subversion or or leaning in. And I feel like in a way that's maybe uh, you know that's a, a way to get tripped up. Really, with this, I. Um, I, I was just trying to lean into the movie itself as much as possible. And, um, you know, I, I early on, Ryan and I were talking about different references. Um, you know, he, we were talking about some of the scores that we love from the late 50s and early 60s. But I think the, the thing that marked all of those was that they were very melodic, motif-driven scores, you know. So it... it um, we knew we wanted to do a big orchestral score. And part of that reason was I think Ryan wanted to play against the small parlor room feel of of how the movie feels. You know, it's 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 very contained. And um, I remember early on i was I was imagining, you know, kind of a smaller ensemble playing really angular. Things and and Ryan was like, no, we w- I think we want to blow it open. We want we want to blow it right out of the parlor room and and have this lush, big orchestral score that at the same time is very cutting and precise.
0: What were those uh, scores that you were looking at uh, from the fifties?
2: Yeah, so we were we were listening to the score from Lawrence of Arabia, Maurice Jarre's score. Um, I was listening to a lot of Bernard Herrmann's stuff. Um, yeah we I remember we were talking about some of Nino Rota's scores. and you know, kind of all of these, I mean, these scores that we all grew up loving and that feel, I think the thing that sets them apart for me is they they feel great and melodic and motif driven, but at the same time you can it feels like you can hear every instrument. You know, it's it's not just a blurry wash of sound. Every every voice has its place and that's how this movie feels to me every every cast person in this amazing big eclectic cl- uh, cast has has their uh, has their own place in the story and
0: you know the, the scores of, of guys like Bernard Herrmann and Maurice Jarre those are scores with that that have their own point of view their own opinion they 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 are not the types of scores that we hear too often today you know cuz they have such right. presence Um, And so there was no, no fear of making the score too known to the audience, too obvious to the audience?
2: No. um, Yeah, no, that's not something that we thought about. I I think, um, I mean, I think Ryan has a really clear understanding of everything that he wants. And, uh, and for me as a composer, I, I kind of come at it like potentially like an actor would um, You know I, I'm, I'm bringing Bringing whatever I'm bringing to it But I, I, I get to relax Because I know that at the helm Is a director who has also written the movie And he knows so clearly what he wants That really I get to I kind of get to play in this incredible sandbox Without having to think too much, you know, about oh, what what is this going to feel like on the on the other side, and and maybe I I mean to get to get philosophical, um, I think that is one of the key ingredients to making something artistic that you can feel excited about. I, you know, I, I think the way to kill artistry is to get people thinking about the critics and how are people going to think about this?
0: Well, well, not, not just like the critics, but you know, as much as you're talking about like influence, you know, as a fan, I love to learn influence. I love to talk like, Oh, Marie Charest, Bernard Herman, but you can also fall down a, a, a void, a black hole of influences.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, um, the, uh, I forget if it was Tom York or Johnny Greenwood, but they said a great thing about that. It was it was in a British music magazine. They were talking about uh, recording OK Computer, and um, and they were saying they were saying uh, that recording that album. I, I think they were just specifically talking about the opening track, but they were saying that was us trying to trying to be DJ Shadow and failing. Um, and I I think I think that's like such a great. Um, you know, it's it's such a generous thing to, to realize that all of us are inspired by our influences, but but part of what is great about making art is um, you know you 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 kind of are, are taking these inspirations but then a, a, as you as you as you reference them and maybe fail it comes out in your own voice <laughs> so i don't know that was that was encouraging to hear that perspective coming from from uh such amazing artists as radiohead oh hell yeah <laughs> uh
0: and, and i i imagine because you are uh having conversations so early on in the process the the two of you are formulating your ideas so early on. It's a much more organic thing than if you were to come in after the film was shot.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a really special thing about working with Ryan. Um, you know the the fact that like for Knives Out, for a lot of his movies, I, I go, I, I kind of basically move and uh, move to wherever they're shooting. And so for Knives Out, I was I was uh, on set. While they were, I was, you know, while they were shooting, I was, you know, sitting in this amazing Gothic mansion with this incredible cast of characters and then driving home through fall in New England and writing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just such a great, it's such a great, uh, chance to, I guess in a way, to let your brain begin to steep in the whole world without immediately having to to, to spit something out. Um, but yeah, I, I always really appreciate that about coming on board early and, uh, and getting to... Um, I guess getting to just let it let it stretch and, and to be able to, you know, kind of the, the time to be able to go down rabbit holes and explore and, and maybe you find something and maybe you don't. But if you only have a few weeks to to turn out the score, you definitely don't have the, the time to explore in that same way.
0: So as you're formulating in those early stages, uh, how does the score come to you? Like, what do you what did you first start to hear with Knives Out?
2: Well, oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think so. Ryan years ago described the opening scene to me, and um, and I I have been thinking about that scene for years. And y- you know, usually when we talk about something, I I I don't start thinking about music. I'm always just compelled by the story and thinking about it from a narrative point of view. And you know, the music comes later, but, um, but weirdly with knives out, this was, this was kind of the first thing with Ryan where the the very first thing I heard about it, I was already starting to think about music. And, um, you know, part of that was these, these sharp angular strings and kind of a, a, a rhythmic, a rhythmic, uh, quartet thing that, event you know, eventually I ended up writing this quartet piece for that opening scene. Um, and that really kind of unlocked, oh, okay, I, I I think I know what this movie sounds like. And um, even though, you know, it, it immediately kind of blows up into this big orchestra, I knew that I wanted to keep everything sharp and angular, like those strings.
0: And the big orchestra sound, like bringing, you know, the big orchestra sound coming out of the, sh- the, the, the thought of the strings, uh, is that easy for you to like deconstruct? Like, is it, is it easy for you to, does it formulate pretty quickly like in your process or, uh, is it something that you
2: agonize over? Uh, I, <laughs> I don't I don't think I agonize over it but also it, it I, I don't know it feels more organic I mean the way that I like I kind of come from a, a songwriter uh, garage band background um, and so my entryway when I'm writing a score is starting with with theme and melody usually you know I mean looper is is not a theme score that was like a totally different atmospheric ambient thing that we did but for something like this where we know, we know it's going to be uh, melodic, and you know, sort of like a, a classical Hollywood score in a certain way. I I'm starting at that at that core level. You know, what what can you what can you whistle? What 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 are the what are the melodies that are gonna? What are the melodies and the chords that are that are gonna connect us to the emotions that we're seeing on screen? And then once you know, I, I mean, that that's what I was playing to Ryan. I remember the first thing I showed him was like a very, you know, embarrassingly rough piano uh, version of um, of the of the quartet piece of the of the or at least of the main theme from the quartet piece that happens right over the titles. And so once you know, once we kind of feel like okay, the, we're we're on the same page here, that's when I begin building it out for, you know, for the, the, all the different colors of the orchestra. So
0: when you present that first rough piano piece to Ryan, what is, what is his immediate response to it? What was the conversation that came out of that, that steered where the score eventually went?
2: Yeah. I mean, so it's nerve wracking to, to start with because I've been, you know, I've been writing for weeks, uh, you know, and he, he'll like. He kind of sees me hanging out on set every day. And then I go disappear into my little mobile studio and I'm, I'm creating something, but he hasn't heard it yet. And so it gets to the point where he's like, you got to play me something. Wait, when are you going to play me something? And so finally, I I mean, I think I had like, I did a lot of exploration until I found that knives out motif. And, um, but when I happened upon it, I felt like, okay, this is it. This is something. And I remember taking it over, and I was I was fairly invested in the idea, which which makes it more nerve wracking because it's like, man, is he is he going to like this? Is is he? Am I on the right page? And I remember um, after after you know after being on set one day, I just went over to his house and uh, put some headphones on him and and press play, and you know w- within within like five seconds this big smile broke out onto his face and he like looked over silently as he was listening and raised his hand for a high five um which was like was like oh good yes it's okay good we can keep going um but yeah it's uh it's that that is the nugget of of getting you know what is this what is this world gonna sound like and then then we take it from there
0: uh, and, and so you still have that sort of uh, that anxiety even though you've made so many films together.
2: Yeah, th- absolutely. I mean it it's always man, I, showing showing anybody a brand new thing. It's like, you know, put, I don't know, putting something that delicate out into the world, uh, you, you're, uh, I, and especially for making a movie, cause it, this is like not my chance to write my music. This is all about me getting inside Ryan's head and helping him tell his story. So, um, the, the great thing about working with Ryan is that he's the only person that I have to, uh, crack essentially you know uh, uh or i guess that's not the right way to say it, but he, he's the only person i'm trying to to please with it it's um there it's not a ton of cooks in the kitchen it, it i can be really singular in my focus because i know that all of this is flowing from him
0: and you know so you're you're pretty free to to work without uh as you say like without notes like ryan's the only one you're really uh looking to please, you don't have to worry about, uh, the higher ups uh,
2: uh, on the film. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, it is, you know, I think part of that is because we started making movies, you know, with, with no budget. So it's, it's, um, but as, as, as you grow that over the years, I, Ryan and, and Rom Bergman, our producer, um, you know, they, they create a very, very safe place to create. Uh, and I, I completely feel like I have the the safety to, to try and fail. Um, you know, and, and having that safety is what allows you, hopefully, to try and succeed eventually.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, with your previous scores, you've had uh, quite a bit of experimentation. You know, you've used kitchen utensils and brick, and you were talking about Looper, you you know, with Knives Out, is it, I've only heard it the one time. Is it a much more traditional score? Like, as far as instrumentation? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. I, I, I joke that, I mean, you know, with Looper, most of that score was field recordings of, like, industrial fans and treadmills that I turned into tonal instruments. So, I um I joke that for Knives Out the big restriction that we set for ourselves was that we had to use a whole orchestra of real instruments.
0: Mm. <laughs> um and, and so that does that feel like a constriction when you're doing something a little bit more form,
2: yeah i mean but but the thing is like i i like a restriction doesn't feel like a negative to me like i always feel like whenever you're making an artistic thing the restriction is the boundary that gives you the safety to explore right so it's um that was that was a really fun restriction uh, that i that i got to play with for this and it, it was it was so much fun i mean you know, and I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek because it, it's, it's not much of a restriction. It's, it's sort of like the widest palette um, in, in classical music that there is. But, uh, but it was really fun to, to kind of bring my sensibility to that and uh, even, even explore you know, sort of experimental playing techniques. And um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much you can do with that, but it was really helpful to set that as the boundary at the start of the movie.
0: Uh, and then finally, like, so when all is said and done and, you know, the movie is out there, how do you, how would you like your music to exist beyond the release date of the film? You know, you're a musician, you're a songwriter. Uh, you know, I'm a movie maniac. I love listening to, you know, the Lawrence of Arabia score just on its own. Yeah. Do you think about that when, when, when it's all said and done with your work?
2: Yeah. I, th- I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I try not to think about that while I'm working on the film, but then when we get ready to release the soundtrack, then I start. I do actually think a lot about that. I, I um, you know, I think about how how can I put together an album that that feels like a an enjoyable uh, listening experience. And um, you know, we're we we got to partner with Mondo to do an amazing vinyl release for this, and yeah, so we do we do spend a lot of time. Um, you know, kind of going in, and I—I I don't know. I, I'll like I'll combine different tracks. I don't do a lot. There's not a lot that's different, but I—but I do. Um, I do try to avoid having you know a hundred tracks that are 13 seconds long.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Nathan, thank you for chatting with us today. I'm super excited about that Mondo release. I'm going to need that vinyl for sure.
2: Oh yeah, it's um. Have you heard about it? No. It's it's so cool. they so they. Um, I feel like whenever we do something with Mondo, they do the most ridiculous thing for us. And I'm sure they don't make any money on it. But what we're, what we're doing for this is there are there are nine different covers. There's basically a, like a, a cutout of a magnifying glass with nine different suspects. So and it's all randomized. So you you buy it and you you're not sure which um, which character is going to be in your magnifying glass. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome.
0: Oh, how perfectly clue. That's perfect.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs>
0: uh, well, Nathan, thank you I- again. Uh, is there anywhere that we can point our listeners to on, uh, social media wise?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I'm medium active on Twitter. My, uh, Twitter handle is N T Johnson. And, uh, that's that's pretty much the only social media. Pl- I've got a, I've got a website, which is Nathanj.com, And I, I throw up uh, stuff on there. Uh, I throw stuff up on there. That's probably a better way to say that. I probably also th- I also throw up on there, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but th- that's uh, that's sort of a collection of, uh, of different um, audio and visual things that I've been that I've been working on.
0: All right. Well, we will we will all head over there. We will all pick up that Mondo. I want to see who I get uh, as my suspect, and uh, we we'll all see yeah. Knives Out this weekend.
2: Thanks so much for uh, for chatting. My pleasure. All right, take care, Brad. All right, take care.
0: And there you have it. I know I say this every week, but I think that's one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the in the Mouth of Darkness chatcast so far. I loved his comment about the recording of OK Computer and Radiohead and this idea that failing to imitate is a success on its own. Um, You know, we all want to be up there with our favorite artists, whether that's musicians, filmmakers, writers, what have you. And when we start out on this creative journey, we begin by doing what they do and failing and getting so frustrated over failing. Of course, you're never going to be as good as Joe R. Lansdale. Of course, you're never going to be as good as Stanley Kubrick. Uh, but in that attempt, you find your own voice. I love, 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 love that idea. Uh, and boy, do you hear... I, I've I've gone back now since this conversation, and I've seen Knives Out, and I've listened for... Maurice Jarre, I've listened for Nina Rota. I've listened for Bernard Herrmann, and I hear them, but I also hear Nathan Johnson. Uh, it's an incredible score, and I really do want to get a hold of that Mondo vinyl. It needs to be a part of my collection. Um, so thank you, Nathan, for taking the time to chat with me. I really, really, really do appreciate it. And go see Knives Out listeners if you haven't already done so. Go see it again if you have. Um, all right. So as promised, I'm going to drop in my brief chats with director Ryan Johnson and co-star Noah Segan. These were recorded at Fantastic Fest earlier this September. I was incredibly nervous. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a massive ryan johnson fan i'm a massive star wars the last jedi fan so it was a true pleasure to get just a few brief moments to talk to him and noah segan such a cool dude Uh, i had no idea what his character was going to evolve into at this point because i had only seen the trailers and he didn't want to give up anything so you know it's that kind of Uh, red carpet chat. And it should be noted that I'm recording this in a packed lobby, so there's a lot of background noise in these conversations as well. Uh, Anyway, let's get into it. Here you go. Brad, how are you you doing? Doing well. Good Good to see you. Yeah. So Agatha Christie is feeding this film a little bit. Yeah. You've tackled Raymond Chandler with Brick. How did you go about adapting a very literary style cinematically, visually?
3: Well, I've loved Agatha Christie's books since I was a kid, and it, uh, I mean, the challenge adapting them into movies is kind of the thing that Hitchcock always talked about, how it can be sort of one big, long build-up to one big surprise at the end, which is not the most energetic And kind of. so the challenge with this, the thing I tried to do is, all right, how do I get all the pleasures of a good whodunit and give the movie sort of the engine of a Hitchcock thriller, so it, it twists the formula a little bit, but Agatha Christie was always twi- the formula with everything she did so it, it felt appropriate.
0: From what little I've seen, I'm loving the production design. Yeah. Obviously the house is very, very important to the movie. Yeah. Uh, and in the Who Done It the House is very important. Yeah. So How did you find your house? How did you find those Well, that was
3: the first thing we looked for. The reason we shot in Massachusetts was because we found that house. Mm -hmm. And when I saw a picture of that house, I was like, oh my God, that's it. Um, Yeah, because the house belongs to Christopher Plummer's character, who's like a murder mystery author. It needed to feel like it came right out of his brain. You need to look at it and immediately say, okay, murder mystery mansion. Mm -hmm. And when we found that house, it was we're like, okay, that's it.
0: And then cinematography-wise, how are you approaching Knives Out? like what's your philosophy of the image
3: so I mean we try and make it beautiful Steve Yedlin who I've worked with since you know since college he's my DP uh my director of photography, he made it gorgeous, but in terms of visually, it's it's a very dialogue-based movie. It's a very much just, I didn't want the camera to get in the way of the actors with this one. So it's very straightforward in its visual approach, but hopefully in a way that still makes it engaging visually. I, I still like to have fun every once in a while. Did you have so. any
0: visual influences?
3: No, honestly, with this one, it wasn't like we sat down and watched, we wanted to look like this or that. Design-wise, there were some influences. The the 1970s version of Sleuth with Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier, the house, I mean, the, the way that that felt, because that was also about like a murder mystery writer who's in this house that feels like the inside of his brain. And so I gave David Crank, our production designer, that as a reference, and he ran with that. In terms of the camera, though, no, honestly, I was just like, okay, with this one, I'm going to just try and really tell the story visually, as dynamically as I can, as clearly as I can, and give the actors the best stage to work on.
0: And has your pre-production process changed much since your early days?
3: I mean, not really. It, it's uh, you know, it's always kind of the same process. I, I I storyboard the whole thing. That's that's how I always start. And then I walk walk through the board to a Steve, and we figure everything out. And also the the yeah, no, it's kind of been the same process since Brick. Actually, we just have have had a little bit more to work with each time. And you come back to
0: Fantastic Fest a lot. Yeah, we appreciate that.
1: Oh man,
3: I love it here.
0: What is it about this festival that uh, keeps bringing you back?
3: Well, it's a party. You know, it's such party and uh, that's both when you're hanging out getting drunk at the highball at night but that's also in the theater it feels like no matter what you're sitting down to see people are there to have a good time and especially with this movie which is made to be seen with a crowd it's a fun i hope funny movie and like it's made to kind of like be a big ride for the audience I'm just—I'm so psyched to get in that theater and see it with this crowd, though. Well,
0: I'm excited to get in that theater. I also yeah. really appreciate your karaoke last night. Ah! So thank you for that as it's, well.
3: It's my—it's my go-to Weird Al song. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. Thank Hi, you so much. See you. Take care. care. Yeah. Hi Ryan, I'm on the Grammy quick. Hey.
1: Hi. how are you? We're Good, to see you,
0: Good to, to see you, man. Good to see you. tell me, know about, like, quite how has your relationship with Ryan potential evolved potential over the many films you've done before? Um,
1: you, sir. You know. I mostly I I owe him a lot more money. <laughs> I keep I keep borrowing now. Uh, you know, I think um, how is it evolved? You know, you just you get to know people better. And you become better friends and, and you uh Well, that's how you you, you learn to lean on each other. How does he sell you on a movie? Are you just gonna like if if he's doing Knives Out? You don't even need to work. It's like burying a body, man. You just call me up and I'm there. Yeah, that's that's how it works. And then so when you get the script for
0: Knives Out. What was your first reaction to your character?
1: Well, you know, you, I, I, I traditionally don't read them thinking about who I'm going to play. I sort of read them thinking about how I can, you know, how I can help him sort of get to the best place with the screenplay. And so, uh, you know, a movie like this, it's done it, You're just reading it going... And did it man you know and so that was that was it and that you know you finish it and you goes, hey how about how about you do this and like
0: I said you know I bury a body for him. And what's exciting as a viewer for me is you have this amazing cast of characters yeah. and you're all working to mask something. Right. Well, and you're the and you're the detective. Who knows? Yeah 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 who who knows? Knows? okay
1: let's see it I can't make any promises. Yeah yeah
0: well so how do you um, like how do you guys work as a team on set?
1: It was you know it was really similar to every other movie that we worked on where, you know, you've got a, a crew of people who have been there since the beginning and then you've got some new folks that you meet and it just feels like family. And you know, this happens to be a movie that's sort of like about family and about dysfunction about people kind of working together and then working against each other and then and so you just have fun kind of playing around with that and the next thing you know you're just hanging out playing parlor games between takes.
0: Alright well I look forward to knowing what you know. I can't wait till you do. Alright good to see you man. Alrighty then, how did I do? I didn't embarrass myself too much on that red carpet. Uh, But yeah, very surreal to be there. Very strange to uh, have my tiny, crappy little microphone in their faces. Uh, You know, the audio quality is what the audio quality is. I don't know why I have to be so defensive about it, but I am. Uh, But there you go. All right, so knives out. Go see it. Make sure you see it with a good crowd. There are Lots of laughs and lots of gasps. You want that audience reaction with Knives Out. It is extra rewarding. Don't forget to get that Mondo vinyl. Uh, you know, Black Friday's coming up. I think Mondo is going to have a nice Black Friday sale, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, there you go. Another chat cast in the bag. Next episode is another crazy conversation. We're returning to the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia and celebrating their 10th anniversary with Matthew Modine and Full Metal Modine Weekend. Lisa will be back on the podcast, and the two of us ask some hard-hitting questions to Mr. Modine, and we get lots of very strange and wonderful tangents. Very philosophical guy, that guy. And uh, we're going to have a special intro for you on that episode as well. So come back next week. And then after that, we're going to get back into our fantastic fest coverage. Cause we still have many more interviews from that film festival to bring to our listeners. They're going to be going well into the new year as their films come out and Hit VOD as well as Theatrical so be on the lookout Make sure you are subscribed to the ItMod Chatcast channel and of course Follow my other dorks on all their Social medias Lisa Gullickson She's at Sidewalk Siren Billy Das, he's at WB Das. Darren Smith at the Disco Dork Brian Young at The Turtle Dork and I of course am On all social medias at Mouth Dork And until next time guys Take care
1: Visions are worth fighting for Why spend your life making someone else's dreams?